Church at the Red Door. I want you to know that I had to search long and hard to pull up my 80s jacket that hangs down to the floor because it's the only thing that will go over this cast, but uh, I do it for you. Otherwise, I would just be up here and I'd have a little t-shirt on or something. But I wanted you to think that I believe that this matters, so I'm wearing a coat to honor you and all that. Blah, blah, blah. I was going to play that uh, in a, kind of a Miami Vice jacket. For those of you who remember Don Johnson and Miami Vice, I was going to play that music when I was coming up here, and I thought that might be a little disrespectful. So, so uh, anyway, are you ready for this? Let me just open a prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the privilege of meeting on this somewhat humid and hot middle dog days of summer. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for those who are watching by live stream, which would certainly be the majority of our congregation these days. And We'll watch afterwards, Lord. Bless them wherever they are. Um, bless them. We feel for them being in Montana and Colorado, Lord. Our, our hearts go out to them. No, Lord. Well, and I thank you for our precious friends that have gathered here today. Lord, um, it's, I've been reading a lot lately, Lord. It just feels like the church is going down. Evangelicals are diminishing. People are becoming, you know, qualifying themselves as atheists now. And and Lord, I just I think there's going to be a revival here in the desert. I think I think there's going to be people who say, you know, I don't like this isolation and this this place away from you, Lord. Would you inspire in us uh, a willingness to go against the trend, to go against the grain, to swim upstream, Lord? All those metaphors are apt in our culture today, but Lord, we trust you. You're you're, you're powerful. You're the Creator. We're the created down here, acting like that we know, acting like we know what we're doing. So, Lord, would you speak to us today? Would you, uh, as we've seen before in Luke chapter 24, would you, as Jesus did on the road to Emmaus, open our minds so that we might understand the scriptures, Lord, and that this would, everybody in the sound of, within the sound of my voice, myself included, would walk away with a new sense of your, Lord, of your destiny for our lives. And that's going to take your power to get that into our souls today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. <clears throat> well, Luke chapter 19, we're gonna continue this. It's really, for those of you who haven't been with us, we've been going through kind of systematically the Gospel of Luke over the last several years, which again, as I've said before, I think is probably the best way to go through the Scripture because it forces us to deal with passages that we might otherwise as pastors not wanna deal with or try to skate around a little bit, and this forces us into the entirety, the entirety of the story of the gospel. And it is a story. It's not just a bunch of disparate rules out there and for moral living. I mean, we know by now this is an enticement that the Lord gives us. He's enticing us to be drawn back into the very purposes for which we were created, which is a deep and profound relationship, not just in prayer and on a cloud somewhere and with a harpist in the background, a wild, vibrant, radical exploration of the things of God, which by the way, I think is what heaven's gonna be one day anyway, if you think it's gonna be born. I, I meet people all the time and said, I, I can't stand to go to church. Why in the world would I wanna go to heaven? You know, I, I mean, why, why is this boring? It should never be boring. This should be part of a tool of coming together and learning the word, but also vibrantly coming together as a community. I, I've had a lot, uh, Laura and I have been recipients of much of the grace of being involved in a community. You know, people get sick and man, we just, people come around you, they're praying for you. Some things that I've told you this last week, I got a number of texts from both David and Marcy and Tim and, and, and the boys and you know, all these tragedies that have occurred uh, on a multiple of fronts. And they said, we can feel the power of community in this. I mean, there's a beauty in coming together, isn't there? And that's part of the gospel. But the gospel is also your personal destiny inside that community. We're gonna talk a little bit about that this morning. I alluded to it last week, but if you give me a couple of weeks to think about something, I'll come up with a lot more to say about it. So we may get kind of strung out on this Zacchaeus thing, but really it's, it's not a Zacchaeus thing. It involves Zacchaeus, but it's a much deeper and profound thing, if you will, this idea of a name. Luke chapter 19, verse one. We'll read these 10 verses. We'll resituate ourselves in this story and then we'll try to take out every little, every little item that we can take from this. What is the Lord, why, why is this story in the Bible? That's always my question. Why is it in there? Have you ever read like a book and you're like, well, why, why did they develop that character? That, char that never went anywhere. Why, why did they even include that? 
Well, not so in the Bible. Every character that's developed has something, some import for us, even in the 21st century. Even a little rich guy that was a Benedict Arnold of his own nation is involved in this great cosmic drama of the total restoration of all things. It's a wild story. It's a children's story, but it's also a very deep and profound story. Are you ready to get into this? Is that a good setup? Should I start again? No, I'm sorry. All right. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. We're going to look at that. This is the name by which he was called. In other words, somebody say, Zacchaeus, his mother, or whatever, when he was young. We don't know about his family upbringing. Maybe he was an orphan, for all I know. Zacchaeus, and then, you know, that's what you do. That You respond to your name. Um, but that's the name he was given. He was a chief tax collector, and he was loaded, right? We looked at that. Chief tax collector, worst of the worst, bad guy. I mean, think about it today. It'd be like uh, maybe the, who knows, a cartel comes up from across the border and kind of takes over the Coachella Valley and began exacting taxes and, and shakedowns from all the, all the valley participants here. And then one of us says, hey, I'm going to side with the cartel here and shake down my own people. I mean, it's one thing that cartel is bad guys, but one of our own being complicit. That, I just try to get a sense of who Zacchaeus is. Chief tax collector. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. The worst of the worst. I don't care. Maybe you're watching on television. The worst of the worst. And by, by that, look, we're all worse. One, one of the things that you've got to realize is that inside a really, truly gospel-centric, vibrant community is that we're all part of the worst. So when I say the worst of the worst, I'm just saying, I mean, th these are such small gradations. We're way down here in the created, and the Lord is so holy and so other than Lee, uh, our, our disparity between one another seems somewhat fractional when we're comparing ourselves to Him. But he was still trying to see, and there are people all over this valley that are still trying to see, even they wouldn't admit that to you at all. And maybe some of you are even tuning in here this morning, and you wouldn't want your neighbor or your friends to know that you're watching this 1980s preacher-looking character up here. So he ran ahead. He acted on it, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, and he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. And come down for today I must, what, stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble. That's always what people are going to do when you start moving in a Jesus direction. Two, people, two, two groups. Number one, your old cronies who you're running with. What in the world are they doing going to church or thinking about this Jesus thing or toting a Bible now? That, that, but there's another group, too, and there's the holier-than-thou crowd, and they don't, like, they don't like people coming in and messing up their holy party. And by the way, you don't want to mess up that party anyway. That's not a good party to be part of. But a group of people who come together and say, yeah, we're all, we're all part of the worst of the worst, and, but we're redeemed and we're forgiven and we're now part, we're, we're already given this new name. It's just unbelievable. It's powerful. And so there's no, there's no, there's no pomp and circumstance here. There's no, uh, there's no chest puffing out here. It's just a holy admiration for a creator God. That's all a real gospel-centric community is. Zacchaeus stopped, and they said, well, he's gone to be a guest of the man who's a sinner. And he stopped, and he said to the Lord, behold, Lord. Notice, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, they weren't even to his house yet. It says, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'm going to give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the worst of the worst. Those lost people, people like, people like me, people like me. All right, now, so that's the story. But I want to get back into this because a couple weeks ago, I started talking to you about my little exploration. I said, I wonder what the name Zacchaeus means. And, and to my surprise, I, it, it, the name Zacchaeus means pure. And I, and I talked to you a little bit about sometimes God gives us a name 
well before we even understand what that name is. And we may be the worst of the worst, but God already has sovereignly chosen us for some extraordinary kingdom exploration and some extraordinary Jesus-centric walking, some kingdom living, some vibrant, dynamic purpose for which reality comes alive and we become fully human. And yet, you know, Saul of Tarsus was on the way killing Christians, and that's when his worst of the worst came. And he said it himself, I'm, I'm, I'm the worst of all sinners. So he, he classified himself. The great apostle Paul classified himself as the worst of the worst. He said it himself. And you can go down, down through the litany of different character sketches that we have through the Bible, and you're never going to get anybody that's just perfect and pure other than other than Jesus himself, the unblemished lamb. That's it. So just understand that if you feel like maybe this morning you're on the outside looking in, you may be, but your entrance is open, and all you've got to do is not want to miss this, and that's Jesus. And Zacchaeus like, I don't want to miss that. He, he didn't even hear a sermon. He, he heard nothing that we know of. He just immediately responded just by Jesus saying, I'm going to hang out with you today. Maybe that's all. The only thing you walk away with today is that Jesus is open to hanging out with you today. If you go from a place of I am the worst and I've done, I have gone way too far. Jesus is never going to love me at all, or God's got to be, you know, there's got to be a whole holy uh, indignation and firebolts coming down from. I've, I have t have heard so many people. I have invited people to all kinds of PGA tour events and outreach stuff we've done and. And all the things over the last multiple decades, and, and I hear this all the time, oh, if I came, you know, that place would be set on fire, lightning would come down. I mean, they really do have the impression that Jesus wouldn't be looking up into the tree where they were maybe kind of wanting to watch him, maybe even on television from a distance. They would like to enter or even know a little bit more, but they can't imagine that Jesus would say, come down and let's hang out together. So the question again is, was this even predestined? Was this before the foundations of the earth? Well, we looked, if you'll remember, we looked at Jeremiah, and, and again, I'm going to make a statement about a name in this context, although it doesn't specifically refer to a name. Jeremiah, which is an extraordinary story in the study of Jeremiah, I'm working through the Jeremiah, and I've taught through, but I'm really looking at it in a deeper way, in a more profound way, even these last few weeks when I've been kind of immobilized. And um, I'm just loving it. I just love the words and things I'm learning. But Jeremiah chapter 1, now notice, this is, <laughs> this is an unbelievable statement, verse 4 and 5. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, now this is what God says about Jeremiah. Think about this. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were a conscious entity, I knew you. Now what does that even mean? I mean, usually when I think of meeting, you know, knowing somebody, I'm saying, okay, I'm, nice to meet you. My name's Jeff. And we, tell, we exchange names. We may go a little further. What do you do? You know, where are you from? We ask a few kind of, you know, necessary questions. And then maybe we have dinner together or lunch or coffee or something. You get to know them a little bit better. And, you know, and that, now I can maybe say, well, I kind of know that person. But based on their identity and based upon their activities and based upon their essence and who they are and all that kind of thing, Jesus knew Jeremiah, and by extension, I say me and you, Jesus knew us before we were in our mother's womb. I don't know. That blows my mind if that's true. Of course, I believe it's true. I know it's true. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I set you apart to be on my side in this cosmic struggle between good and evil. I set you apart to be on my team, even before you were in your mother's womb. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So in some ways, he's... His name, in some ways, his identity in God's eyes was there's a prophet and he's not even in, a, in his mother's womb yet. That's mind-boggling to me. 
This week I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about Revelation chapter 2. So Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can squint and pretend that you can actually read it at your age, or you just look up here on the screen, and you can read it up here, or allow me to read it for you. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, now 17, now catch this. Now, this is uh, one of the messages to the churches, and there's Ephesus, the church, and uh, Philadelphia, and Pergamum. This is in part of the end of his message to Pergamum. And I won't get into all that, but this is Revelation. This is kind of the future, and some of you kind of know about this, but look at this. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, now what does that mean? That's involved. This kind of, you know, overcome. Are you an overcomer? Well, I like to think I am, but sometimes I feel like an underachiever. He who overcomes to him or in her, I will give some of the hidden manna, hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Now, this is cryptic. If you go back in the commentary, there are all kinds of different thoughts about what, number one, what's the white stone? Well, there were, in a court of law, if someone was deemed innocent, they would put out, you know, a white stone at the end, a black stone was bad, a white stone was good. There were different uses, there were different things that think people thought about this and what, what the white stone might represent. And the fact of the matter, the more I read, the more I thought nobody knows what that even means. Maybe except for God himself or at least pretty strong theologians around the world over the last 2,000 years have not agreed in totality what that means. So there's, uh, you know, there's that Deuteronomy 29, 29. Uh, some of the secret things belong to the Lord. This seems kind of secretive, don't you think, too? I mean, there's that white stone, and what does that mean? And hidden manna, what's hidden manna? And why, why would it be hidden manna? after, you know, and most people see this into the future. Like if you've had a life that's been kind of overcoming, uh, somehow this has shifted in the future and you get a white stone, but nobody should know it. It's kind of a hidden thing between you and God. And then there's some hidden manna and then people just go, and then you go to the next verse and you just go, ah, I don't know what that means. And I don't know that I completely understand what that means either. So I'm, I'm, but would you be interested in Jeff Cranford's take today? And I'll qualify it as that. This is my view, at least, of how we could take this in the 21st century and not just throw this out into the future. Because to be honest with you, when I throw it out into the future, I'm like, all right, I get a new name and nobody knows it and, and, and me and some hidden manna. Allow me to say that does not inspire me. There's nothing that that's going to affect in me today at all. And I have a, I have a strong sense that there's probably something I'm missing if it's not, if any part of the word is not inspiring me today, I'm not understanding the purpose for which that is there, okay? If you go back over, all right, I'm gonna try to put this together. Let me get myself together here. Okay, think about this for a second. If you go back through, through the scripture, there are any number of times where God renamed somebody. It starts with Abram, you know? the father and he's renamed because of his destiny because of the calling and the giftedness and the and the uniqueness of his life he becomes the father abraham of many nations he becomes the father of many nations sarai becomes sarah and so there's a shift you go a little bit forward then you get jacob and jacob is renamed and his name becomes Israel, and a lot of people don't know what the name Israel even means, but he's renamed by God as what? Wrestling with God. There's a destiny in this that there will be a wrestling with God, and then, of course, Jacob, Israel, becomes the father of, you know, all this the Jewish people and, and, and the patriarchal figure here and it's really powerful but they do i mean if you can look historically his downline has wrestled with god for a long time i mean it really was predictive his very name a name means something i think about you know i think and so i didn't want you to walk away last week or a couple of weeks ago when we did this and think well my name's ted and i don't know ted doesn't mean anything you know TED Talks, I guess, or if you know about that. Or, and I looked up my name this week, and it was kind of interesting. I never knew this. It has a German, Jeffrey has a German kind of a, a 
etymological thing and an English aspect to it. And uh, it, was, it was fairly unique. It actually means traveler and God's peace. And actually, uniquely, that actually applies to me. I travel a lot. I got a lot of travel coming up, especially with this. Once I get this off, I'm, you know, we've got, many of you know, we're planting, we're planting four New Links fellowships, it looks like, or four or five up in the Northwest. Just, and I get to, I'm speaking at those, not even including Bozeman. And we've got some travel coming up. And I'm always trying to bring God's peace. So I was like, well, you know, maybe that was kind of God naming me. But what if your brother's, like my brother's name is Todd, and Todd means fox. And so, you know, if you got an English name, and I'm like, well, that's true. He's used to kind of swiper fox. If you, you got kids or grandkids, you know, swiper fox always steals it. He used to steal some of my change out of my, out of my stuff when I didn't know that. But, you know, so I don't know that you would want to look into your given English parental name and try to find some mystical connection that really wasn't my point. The point is, I think if we take Revelation 2 and push that, not just all the way into the future, but we bring that back, is there a moment in time where in overcoming the, the evil by me walking in community and the vibrancy and the reality of who God's called me to be for before, even before the foundations of the earth, through what? Through him speaking to me. It's like Psalm 42, you know, deep calls unto deep. Like hidden manna. See, I, I, why would there need to be anything hidden? I mean, once we get, you know, we're in, we're in the kingdom and there's no more tears and we have a resurrected body and we get to see Jesus face to face and become like him and all this hidden stuff. To me, and it may be, it may be indicative of the future, but I, I sense that there's something in this name that's going to be on this white stone that I can even tap into now. Who I was, who you are, even before the foundations of the earth. That is a powerful, powerful thought. Powerful thought, if it's true. This last a few weeks ago, I, uh, one of the most exciting things that I ever receive in the mail is, uh, is the jury summons. I don't know if you guys ever get really excited about that, but it's a great opportunity to go and pretty much have, have an entire week uh, completely thrown into disorder and go down and sit with a bunch of people who are miserable to be there. And you can't talk. So all that is just a great, it's a great experience for me. But uh, when I look at my jury, you know, parking permit here, I'm looking at uh, my badge number, and I'm, I was 03211-1680. That was my badge number. So when I went in, they like, Mr. Cranford, we're so happy to have you here. Welcome. Would you like a nice espresso? Excuse me, not espresso, espresso. Would you like an espresso? No, that didn't happen. They looked up, oh, yeah, your badge number, 03211-680. And so sometimes names are that. They're an identifying something or other. But there is something in what God did in you before the foundations of the earth that are not just something that you'll go, you'll hear and you'll go, oh, that's me, like a social security number or even your English-given name. Listen to what, and I love this, Eugene Peterson says in Running with the Horses, he says this, a personal name, a personal name, not an assigned role, is our passbook into reality. And by personal name, he's talking about that name that was given you. Maybe, maybe, and again, this is my take on it, maybe that name that'll be on that white stone that will identify you and the uniqueness of who you have been created to be. It is also our continuing orientation in reality. Now, what does he mean by that? How are you oriented? in reality. Well, you know, I do this and I do that and you know, that's what that's just how my life. That's, that's, that's how I orchestrate my life. I I go here and I go there because I'm a financial planner or I'm a golf professional or uh, you know, I'm a I'm a mother who's a stay-at-home mother and I'm raising my kids or uh, I'm a retired person and now I you know, I'm part I'm the president of my club or you know, so whatever it is that situates you in reality. But should the name that God has given you have more of an influence on situating you in reality? And by the way, it doesn't just have to be a religious role like you would think of, because I think God, there's no question in my mind that you, you heard about these matches and the fact that we're out of a small kind of upstart church that we're, you know, this money that's been raised is extraordinary. We're going to have an amazing presence that's going to impact the valley. I don't, I, do you know that? I don't care what the articles say or what anything says. 
It's going to have a profound impact on this valley once we get, and that stuff starts going up on 49th, right? Right there in Jefferson and all that. Tw 12 acres. Who really need 12 acres? But God thought we, needs tw we needed 12 acres. And something profound is going to happen, and we're going to walk into that destiny, and that involves people who, well, have a calling as a king and go out and are able to make you know, large amounts of money, everything they put their hand to kind of turns to gold. They've been very successful. That Those are the people walking into their destiny that have even made that church even get as far as we are now. Or you're, or you're a mother or you're a great-grandmother or someone who go visit somebody in the hospital. Whatever your role, whatever your identity, and I'm just talking about a role. I'm talking about your functional identity that leads you into community and into an amazing journey with God where prayer won't be something you should do and ought to do. It'll be something that you're forced to do because you're so excited and being connected to following Jesus that you need to hear what he tells you to do that day, that week, that month, that year, that season of your life. He says anything other than our name, title, job description, number, role, badge number, that's less than a name. Even Jeffrey, less than a name. Apart from the name that marks us is a uniquely created and personally addressed by God. We slide into fantasies that are out of touch with the world as it is, and so we, leave, we live ineffectively and irresponsibly or we live by the stereotypes in which other people cast us that are out of touch with the uniqueness in which, now think about this, in which God created us and we so live diminished into boredom, the brightness just leaking the way. I, 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 folks, I, I think somehow that God today, not just in a future mystical kind of sense, I think God has hidden manna for you you know, Jesus said, I am the man of this come down of heaven. Give us this there daily bread. I mean, all this thing, this connection with the creation, the creation with the creator, the connection with the creator and this open and use all the metaphors you want, river overflowing us or, you know, the vine and the branch connectivity, whatever it is that that manna that's secret, secretly feeding you, even when other people can't see what your unique identity might be but you just know that internally you have this name and it's a beautiful white stone. And if it is that, it's also you're acquitted. You know, you're not held responsible for your sin because it's written on a not guilty stone. That's a beautiful picture now, but that also makes me want it. If you will go to Ephesians chapter one, Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter 1. This just reignites this whole conceptual understanding of being known by God even before I was a conscious something. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, that's wild, isn't it? That's his name in some ways, his secret name. He's been called as a sent one by Jesus. And remember, elsewhere he says, I'm the worst of sinners. Can it be both? It has to be. It has to be. To the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places they're not in heaven, right? There's already such a connectivity with the church at Ephesus. And, and that's what Paul's saying. I'm so connected. We're just these heavenly blessings. Not someday in the sweet by and by, we're going to have a blessed existence. But until then, we'll just hang on and get our flashlights and beanie weenies and get our little bug out pack when it all goes down. And maybe we can somehow survive the next nuclear blast or I mean come on people is that the name you've been given no that is not the name you've been given we are called the gates of hell will not prevail against 
You, when you're consecrated, set apart to be on God's team, God wins. Read the book. You can figure it out. By the time you get to the end, you're like, we're winning. Even when it looks like we're losing. Pretty powerful thought. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Here again, this is this Pauline, understand how John's talking about it uh, in Revelation with his name and this hidden manna and, you know, Luke's chronicling this and a story about Zacchaeus and, and Jeremiah saying, I've heard this, you know, I mean, this is powerful. There's a calling. There's a response here. It's powerful. These are people. Zacchaeus was chosen before the foundation of the earth. Paul was chosen before the foundation of the earth. You. If you're a Jesus person, have been chosen before the foundation of the earth. He said that we, why? So that we, we would be hagios, as the word here in the Greek, we would be holy. And what does that mean? That would be a saint, that we would be pure, that would be sacred. It would be pure. Zacchaeus' name was pure, even when he wasn't walking in purity. And blameless. Blameless. That just means unblemished, faultless. That's that white stone, I think. That's the reason I'm saying this. Before him in love, he predestined us. What does predestined mean? He just decided even beforehand, before you were anything, before you were a conscious entity. Um, that, that person, Sarah or Bruce or Mike or uh, chosen. Now start fashioning them. Wow, that is unbelievable to me. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus according why? Why did he do this? The kind intention of his will. Because <laughs> he's a kind, he's a kind, you know, the creator of all the, this cosmos does not have to be kind. Could have been a malevolent dictator. And any, any gospel message that makes God, remember, it's the kindness of God, Romans 2, that leads us to repentance. The Bible says it's the kindness of God. And the story is if you reject the kindness of God, that you get what you have always wanted and you can be eternally separated from him. You don't have to live under his rule and reign. That's how I've always presented hell. Not in a, oh, you know, unless you do this, God's in his vindictive, masochistic way, is so excited about you finally breathing your last so he can cast you into Dante's Inferno. Yeah, I don't want to be in hell at all. And I, and I have no doubt, symbolically, it'll be a place of fire and darkness. Can't be both. Those are just symbols. I've said that before. But a place of alienation and hostility. And you, you can live there if you want. You can be separated from his presence. Or you can be in his presence. And his presence is always generated by the kind intention of his will. Please understand who God is. God is love, 1 John 4. God is love. God is love. So, of course, the question uh, for us today is, could this possibly be true? And if it is true, would that preclude me? And I want to look at that again because Zacchaeus, he was loaded. And there are things that can hold you back hold you back from walking into your true identity. The name, maybe, again, I, this may be speculative for some, and I understand, but we're going to be given a new name, but if that name, like God's just going to say, hmm, what am I going to name him now? Let's say I'm going to name him, uh, you know, whatever, and give you a name then? Or was that name already attached to you even before you were formed? And then it just becomes known to you and God now, but I think it can be known now. I think you can walk into your true purpose for living that will make you more human than you've ever been now. I don't think you have to wait just to get a new name in the future. I think you can go after that hidden manna now. And deep does call unto deep. And he wants to speak to you, specifically you, not just us as a church or me as a pastor and then, you know, give it out to you a little bit. He wants he wants you to hear, like, I've given you purpose. Have you ever asked, Lord, what is my destiny in you? Why did you create me? I'm not talking about the name that I was given, my English name or my Hispanic name or whatever. I'm not talking about that name. I'm talking about the name, the very identity, the very the reality, the, 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 the very genetic substance of who I am. What did you create me for? And then when you can walk into that, it's, it's always vibrant, it's dynamic, and, it, and that, now that's reality. Everything else is a superficial, diminished living. It's diminished. 
if you believe in this story. You know, I had opportunities. I, you know, I, I wanted to become rich. I, I really did. Why? Because I, I like having money and more than I like not having money. And uh, it's just always suited me better. And, uh, and I remember there was a very specific mind. Please understand, I, I don't say this in any pious way, but many of you know the story. Some 25 years ago or so, uh, I was given the opportunity to go back, go to Wharton, get my MBA, all paid for through the whole thing. And then I had this big opportunity and, you know, I'd have been a, I'd have been a, I'd have been a wealthy guy. I'd have been a Zacchaeus kind of, kind of a guy. I wonder, God could have used that if that had been my identity. There's no question about it. He could have used that. There's nothing, there's nothing more pious about me becoming a guy who stands up behind a pulpit and is walking with Jesus and talks to you. There's nothing. And then someone who's called to, to be a king in the culture or whatever. Please understand, there's not gradations of calling. There's just calling. Okay. So the question was, was that the reality that God wanted me to walk into? And so when I told this gentleman who offered to pay for all this to go back and, you know, he said I could go back to my alma mater, which was Rice, either one or whichever, he would pay for every, all was all covered. And I went, Laura and I had a couple of kids at that point and all that. And I was just like, man, all my living expenses. I mean, what an opportunity. And then come to work, work for him. And I, and, and I, we really thought about it. I told him something to pray about it. And he was not a believer. He's since passed, but, uh, he just thought that was just the weirdest, worst thing in the world. Now, I don't know that I would have been able to speak as articulately through the word as I am now, 25 years ago, and understand what I did. But I just said, somehow, there is a destiny for me, something deep inside me, there's a destiny for me that's going to be more thrilling than even being loaded. And maybe being, you know, have, have my own private jet or whatever. I mean, that, that's kind of the track that probably would have happened given the other guys that took those opportunities 25 years ago. Now, is there any regret in that? Well, uh, there would be if I just felt like there was no real grand glory or exploration or, or unity with God's purposes or you know, that I've become more human, that I've become a, a more like Jesus. If I didn't think that that was, then, then yeah, I, I would have had an opportunity to turn around and look back and go, wow. And there have been a few times that I've had that temptation you know, well, maybe would have liked to have provided for my family a little bit better than I have or, you know, sent them to a little bit better schools or, you know, whatever, you know, I'm not, not have a donkey car. I have a nice car, but my kid, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? But that, that is fleeting, fleeting, that temptation. I can just turn to, 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 to Satan or the demonic and I, in my own head, I can preach to myself and say, self, Psalm 42 and 43, they preach to themselves. As is a soul, why are you in despair? He's preaching to himself. The sons of Korah and those two passages, they were preaching to themselves. Soul, why are you so in despair? What's, what's wrong with this, you know? And I do that sometimes. I preach to myself. Would you have wanted that? Well, you know, it's, it, could have been, it could have been good. I mean, all that happened here with Zacchaeus was that he took that road apart from his own destiny. That's what happened. God hadn't called him to shake down his own people, the light into the nations, the de that, that nation with the destiny is going to turn his back. That was not his calling. That is a diminished life, even if his bank accounts were packed full. And he knew that. See, he knew when Jesus called him down from that tree, he knew in that moment that's why his immediate reaction was, Jesus didn't say, well, if you'll give all this money away, you can, be, you can have, be, be saved. That's ridiculous. Jesus didn't even say anything about that. He just comes down from the tree, they're walking back, and he goes, uh, uh, Lord. Now, that's important, Lord, like you're Lord and I'm not. Uh, Lord, uh, let's see, uh, I give half away everything. You realize when he says, I'm going to give half of all I have and pay four back, four times back to all those I've defrauded, he was basically taking the path that the rich young ruler had, had been offered and say, why don't you give it all and come follow me? Because it probably was pretty much close to all. It wasn't just a really rich guy giving away parcels of what he, he's like, all right, I'm all in. And I think whether he knew it or not, I'm going to walk into the very name for which I was given. I'm going to walk into a pure life. How would you not be pure walking with the pure one? The purest of all pure. 
and his purity just flows out onto us. It's, you know, Mike talked about it last week. It's atonement. It's, it's a moral influence. It's Christ's victory. It's, it's all that. It's beautiful. And that's what he did in just that moment. And Jesus saw his heart. Salvation's come to this house today. That's powerful. But there are always pictures. It clouds our vision. Look, all of us have a clouded vision and getting to the name has been your real name, your real destiny. We're all clouded and there are a million things. First Timothy chapter six, we'll close. We'll start to unwind this now. First Timothy chapter six, verse nine, catch this. Those who want to get rich, well, they fall into a temptation. It's a, it's a tempting world. And by the way, it's never enough from what I hear <laughs> from really rich people. You know, I thought when I got to here, then I'd be, you know, and all I needed was a little more and a little more and a little more. And then what does the Bible say? James says, and they die. The rich man dies in the midst of his pursuits. Right in the middle of chasing it down to make yourself happy. And then all of a sudden, time clock runs out. It's over. Well, it's a temptation. It's a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Now, what does that mean? I just think in, in the context of which we're talking about it here, folks, I think what that does is that it's just, I'm just going to pull you back into your diminished life thing, your, your badge number. You know, I'm going to pull you back into this. I, not your social security number, your badge number, your role, you know, all that. Not the reality, the, the experience exploratory kind of wild beautiful experience you can have in following Jesus because trust me once you start getting a taste of your community and then your role in that community seeing people's lives change you won't have a taste or anything else I'm just telling you but but until you get to that and I mean that's why it's so important to be integrated into community so that not only you can give what you're supposed to give, I'm talking about just money, I'm talking about you, your person, your calling, your destiny. Uh, once you get integrated in that community, you also get to celebrate with that community and you mourn with that community. That's what the Bible says. We mourn with those who mourn and we celebrate. Look, if you say, my life's not celebratory enough, there aren't that many good things happening in my life, well, guess what? Become part of a an organic whole, and so you'll be celebrating all the time. This won't always be your victory. Well, it will be your victory if you think communally as opposed to, you know, the Western way, which is everybody's their own. You know, we go on vacation, we do our thing, we do this, we do that. We're really not that connected. We go to church, but we're really not that connected to community. You're missing out. You're missing out. See, I think what that, that's what that means. Plunging men into ruin and disgrace. It doesn't just mean that they show up on American Greed, on an episode of American Greed, or they get thrown in five to 10 for, you know, exploiting the poor, yeah, you know, predatory lending, or, you know, it's not just that. The ruin and destruction is they're living their life of boredom alone. And that's tragedy. That's not what you're created for. You're created to live in community. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many goals. Now, very rarely have I ever seen somebody walk away, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. You know, I, I don't believe in that stuff anymore. He's like, I still believe in it. I just don't like the church. You know, I don't like that. I why? And, and as a result, you walk away, because again, you can't walk into the fullness of your identity that God has given you outside there's no way I walk into what we're doing right now. He says, I get to, my gift happens and you see my gift more often. So some people think, well, he's more, you know, holy than I am. And, and all you have to do is ask my family and they'll tell you that's not true. That's easy to, well, that's easy to overcome. Just have to sit down and have a coffee with my wife. But not that I'm a horrible person, but sometimes I can be, you know, not Mr. You know, whatever. Okay. Enough said. Hey, make sure and cut that out of the, the edit on the edit on that. But you, you get the point. Al Pacino said it well, all you are is what you're going after. That's, that's Al Pacino. I mean, that's one of our scribes and great philosophers of our time. But it's true. All you are is what you're going after. What are you going after? Is hidden manna important to you? What does God say to you in the core of who you are? Do you want to see people, do you want to see people come to know Jesus and have families and lives restored? 
that's going to be reflected in the way your life is animated. It just is. Do you want to see that happen? People say, well, what is it about Church of the Red Door? And any church that has this vision, right? We want to, we, we're not, we are not happy with things as they are. We want to see people come to Christ. We want to see people live into the identity and the purpose for which, well, and we, it, they were known before they were even something. It's wild. It's just so wild. Living alone, a life of boredom for which you were not created, is what? When he says it, they pierce themselves with all kinds of grief. It's just grief. That didn't mean this life is easy. So I found this this week, and I just thought this was fascinating. So do you remember the story with uh, this character, if you'll remember, named Simon, who would Jesus would say, well, you know, I'm going to make you Cephas. And in Greek, that's Petros. And then English, we change that to Peter. Jesus came to Peter and gave him his name. He changed his name. And it was very important. It was uh, Petros. Is, uh, it's like a, not a boulder, but it's a rock. It's a stone. Now, that's hilarious if you know the story of Peter. Just a few, a bit later, he says, I'm not letting you go to the cross. Get behind me. He didn't say get behind me, Petros. He says get behind me, Satan. So now he's channeling, channeling the demonic. But then this is fascinating, and maybe this will be new to some of you Bible folks. If you go all the way after G Peter's denials, when he's clearly not walking into his identity, he's no Petros anymore. He's no rock. No way. He's not walking into it. And, and Jesus said, and Greg's here, my friend Greg Solis is here, and Monica, and, 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 and so, sorry, Emily, and Emily too. And uh, so, and by the way, Emily's going off to college. Uh, sad, sad, sad. Good for her. Sad for us. So... We, you know, and Peter, when it, Jesus says that, go tell the disciples and Peter, like I'm not done with him yet. Even though he didn't live into his identity as a, a rock, he wasn't even a piece of gravel or a dust. He was just dust, man. I don't know that guy, he denied him and denied him and denied him. And he, you know, he had to feel terrible. And when they got back together, Jesus gets together with him. You know what he calls, do you ever know this in John chapter 21? You know what he calls Peter? When they get together, he calls him Simon, son of John. Now, why would he do that? He's the one who renamed him. You know what I think Jesus was doing there? He's saying, you're not walking in your identity. I know that's not who I've called you to be. So you're going to act like that? I'm like, now, I, don't th I think he was doing it in grace because the whole context of John 21 is, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And it's a whole study on that. It's beautiful. And he uses different words for love. And Peter's like, well, you know, I kind of love you from a distance because I know you're not going to, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm no rock anymore. He says, Simon, son of John, not Peter, Simon, son of John. What Jesus, I think, was doing there is you're, you're trying to walk in what you were. Your old dull, boring, limited life. You're back to fishing for fish again. I called you to be a fisher of men. And you're back to your old, secular, worldly, diminished life living. Why are you doing that, Simon, son of John? Is that what you want to be, Simon, son of John? You want to be Peter. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Is that the kind of life you want? What kind of life do you want? Well, Jeremiah... And this is the absolute close. Jeremiah, he just lived in, you know, he lived in this place called Anathoth, and his dad was a priest, and he probably would have had a pretty good gig for most of his life, pretty, pretty safe, you know. But again, Eugene says, Jeremiah could have hung on to the dead-end street where he was born in Anathoth. Could have. Could have stayed right where he was, not taken any risk, not, you know, not gone to Montana. He could have huddled in the security of his father's priesthood. And he could have been conformed to the dull habits of his culture. But he didn't. He believed that what had been told him about his background, that God long ago gave him away. That's a beautiful way to think about this. Do you realize what 
what God had done in Jeremiah's identity was to say, here's what I've chosen you for. I'm for you to give your, for you to give your life away. So he, he already had, he, his life was already given away. God already gave away Jeremiah even before he was formed. And somehow, Jeremiah thought that was the best deal in the world. Before I was even formed, I believe that God gave me away. I, I, I walk in that now. Well, God gave me away. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Do you ever think of that? My life's already been given away. It's not about me and my vision and all. I mean, he's going to satisfy the desires of my heart. But he says, and he participated in the giving. Jeremiah did. Participated in it. Throwing himself into his appointment. That is so well said, Eugene. Thank you. He threw himself into his appointment, and by extension from what we've learned, into his name. Not a badge number, not a social security number, not even maybe your English name, into that name that maybe will just be revealed between you and God in the deepest parts of your soul, in the most profound places that you want to thrive, but you feel like you're just part of the rat race. Maybe you're struggling with discouragement this morning, disappointment, depression, disillusionment. Don't miss Jesus this morning. Climb up into that tree. And because my friend Val sent this closing worship song, I changed it because it's perfect. It's about, and then Paul will come up and close us in prayer. But don't miss it. This is your chance. Tell the Lord this morning. You want an application? Lord, I, I don't think I've been walking in the fullness of what you've created me to be. And I don't even know that I really know that. Would you start speaking to me about my, would you give me some hidden manna? Would you start speaking to me in the deepest recesses of my soul and give me a reason to live rather than just fitting into the dull habits of my culture? Well, retired people do this, and then they do this, and then they get Medicare, and da 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 blah, 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 blah. Who would do this? Okay, well, this is what, retired people don't get involved with the church plant. Retired people don't get involved in starting a new church down on a big piece of property down on 49th. That's not what retired people do. They go. They're, they're passive participants. Blah. <laughs> Boring. But to see people come to Christ? Mm. Don't miss it. Climb up into that tree.